Good morning and welcome to the Hub City Church. We're so glad you decided to join us in worship this morning. If you're new to Hub City, we exist to make disciples who believe the gospel, abide in Christ, and obey the word of God. If you'd like to hear more about our vision, or if you're interested in joining one of our serve teams, you can visit our website, thehubcitychurch.org, or just text the word Hub City to 97000 and we'll follow up with you in the next few days. Also, community groups will be starting back up soon, and we would love for you to sign up to be a part of those, either on the church app or at the connection desk. We hope you'll join us after service today for a family business meeting where we'll discuss how we are doing this year so far and our plans as we finish up the second half of 2023. Lunch will be provided and childcare for birth through second grade will be available. If you are currently a member or if you're considering making the Hub City Church your new church home, we'd love for you to be there. We are so thankful for how the Lord is growing our church body. To help accommodate those looking for seating, it would be super helpful to keep in seats open so our ushers are able to easily find seats for those coming into the service. Kids are always welcome in service and we have a nursing mother's room with our service streaming live just outside the lobby to the left. Again, we're so glad you're here. Let's worship Jesus together. Good morning. Uh, I think I've met most of you, but I know there's some I haven't met. My name is Tristan McIntyre. I am uh, one of the elders here at the Hub City Church. Um, I've been here for about four years. I'm in the Air Force, and the Air Force says that I have to go. Uh, if you haven't heard, Sarah and I and our four kids will be moving to New Jersey in October. Um, so I think this is going to, yeah, boo, right? <laughs> I, I'm not excited about that. Um, and uh, let me just advise you, don't bring it up with my wife yet. Okay. Uh, it's a sad thing, but uh, that's where we are. Uh, now, I want to remind you before we get into our scripture today, uh, don't forget the meeting that we're going to have for members uh, after this, immediately after the service. Uh, there will be uh, lunch provided. It will be in this room in the sanctuary. Child care is provided uh, as well. So please, if you're a member or if you're a prospective member, you're interested in, in becoming a member of the Hub City Church, you should be here. You should be interested in what our business is. And so that's what we're going to be talking about during our meeting. Please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 5 as we continue our series in Ephesians, preaching all the way through uh, Ephesians. Last week, Pastor Tad preached through uh, verses 15 through 20 of Ephesians 5. And he, changed, he, he preached about the Christian's changed paradigm. How uh, you re might remember how a gospel-centered worldview is one that naturally breeds an ever-growing intentionality in daily life. Not Sunday life, daily life. And all of life, because all of life has been designed by and is lived in the presence of God. Does this sound familiar from last week? Um, 
Number two, our time is indeterminately limited and highly valuable. And then number three, we've been given clear instruction and the perfect helper. That's from Ephesians 5, 15 through 20. This new paradigm, the new glasses that we see the world through, changes everything. It changes everything, including how we view relationships in the church and how we view marriage. So read with me Ephesians 5, starting in verse 21. I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard today. Um, I think New American Standard is going to be behind me on the screen. Uh, If you're using the app to follow along, there's notes in there. That's ESV. So, uh, So just know that as you're going in, you'll be able to follow along. You'll see where I am. And it's a good thing to have more than one version of God's word. Don't, don't get me started on uh, the blessing that that is. All right, read with me. Um, Ephesians 5, starting in verse 21. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body." For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Now, this is God's word. And we need God's spirit to illumine that word in our hearts so that we can, uh, and we need his help to apply it to our lives. So please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, this is your word. You are unchanging. You are good. You are kind in all your ways and righteous in all your deeds. We, however, we do change. We are influenced by our old self. We're distracted by so many things, by our phones, by our friends' phones. So many things will distract our minds. But we need your help to focus. Thank you for bringing us here, and thank you for your word. Please, sir, help us to understand it. Help me communicate clearly. Help these ears and these hearts comprehend and change toward your holiness. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, in any sermon on marriage, it's easy for us to want to target behaviors, 
practical things that we can uh, that, that we can change in our thinking. So in order to change our actions in marriage. And we will get to a little of that today. But this gospel worldview that we talked about last week, really that we've talked about through the entire book of Ephesians, this gospel worldview, this changed paradigm is different from changed behavior. Let me give you an example. For example, you cannot regenerate your kids. That means you can't cause them to be born again. You can't save them, save their souls. You can't cause them to believe. You can't cause the Holy Spirit to indwell your kids. You cannot invoke that paradigm shift. You can, however, teach them principles of kindness and discipline and and help discipline them into mature children, mature people who are capable of some selfless acts. In fact, the world is full of these good people, but they're not necessarily changed, right? When there are two kids and one Oreo, they will fight. They will fight because of their selfishness. If they try to twist it apart to be equitable, one side is going to have more stuff, right? There will be a fight. You have to teach them. You have to teach them to be kind and to defer to the other. You have to teach them to be long-suffering. You have to teach them that living a patient life is just a much better way to live. Ultimately, you will instill in them the great and the wonderful truth that a cookie isn't a big deal, and that there will be other cookies in the future. Now, these tactics are good and important for parents to use to build up character in their kids. But these changed behaviors merely suppress the innate selfishness. Only the Holy Spirit can cause your child to respond to the truth of the gospel and ultimately genuinely desire the good of their brother or sister, right? Because of the paradigm shift, here's my point, right? Because of the paradigm shift we experience as regenerate believers, we are to reject selfishness and pride, This profoundly changes the way that Christians behave in relationships. First, out of reference, uh, reverence for Christ, Christians submit to one another. Now, that's a wall of words up there, so let me read it again for you. Because of the paradigm shift we experience as as regenerate believers, we are to uh, reject selfishness and pride. This profoundly changes the way that Christians behave in relationships. First, uh, out of reverence for Christ, first, Christians submit to one another. Read that verse with me again. This whole sermon is going to make a lot of sense if you have Ephesians 5 open on your laps in front of you, okay? Uh, Read verse 21 with me again. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Uh, If you're reading from ESV, that renders it submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So just who are we to submit to? Well, that phrase, one another, that's the same phrase that's used in verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Ostensibly, this is referring to the church. And indeed, a brief survey of the rest of the New Testament affirms that our mutual submission is to be to one another. And, it's a, and, and, and if we look at the New Testament uh, briefly, it's expressed in five different ways, in service, in humility, in high regard for others, in commitment, and in bestowing honor to others. Galatians 5.13 speaks of submission. 
In terms of service, for you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Romans 12.10 speaks of commitment and showing honor. It says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. And I actually prefer the ESV here. The ESV says, outdo one another in showing honor. Now, friends, if you're on the outside looking in, if you're visiting with us, uh, maybe if, um, if uh, a Sunday service is kind of the extent of, of your commitment to this church and you're, you're in the outside looking in, all of this talk about serving one another no doubt looks wonderful. Looks wonderful. That's by design. It does look wonderful. And don't get me wrong, it is wonderful to serve one another and to show honor and to receive these things as well. It's great. But they're in Scripture for a reason. When you're committed to the body of Christ, you'll sometimes get your feelings hurt. It happens. When you're determined to show honor, you'll sometimes see when someone doesn't deserve that honor. Uh, Pastor and writer Ray Ortland puts it this way. He says, we pay a price to give our lives to real community. We lose some of our space, our time, and our freedom to do as we please. But the Bible tells us to submit to one another. That requires us to adjust, to fit in, and to always look for the win-win. So that's just the submitting or the being subject to one another in terms of the whole body or the whole church. But there are other ways in which we are to submit to one another. Namely, we're to submit to authority. It's implicit in that word, submit. Listen to 1 Peter 5, 5. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. And also listen to Hebrews 13, 17. This is to the whole church. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. This is one of the things that Ephesians 5.21 means when it says we're to submit to one another. In the light of the rest of Scripture, it does include a submission to church leadership. That means, as that passage says, that Tad and Jason and myself for the next couple of months are to guard this body of believers. We can, and we do, keep a pulse on sin that we see. We try to know what new ideas are slipping into the church. We, as leaders, have to address these problems. The, so in matters of sin, this is what it looks like, in matters of sin and in matters of doctrine, which really affects all of life, in matters of sin and doctrine, you, the body, are called to submit to your leaders. Speaking of new ideas, does, does God want you to be saved from oppression? Didn't Jesus come to liberate us and give us freedom? Isn't the idea of authority of any human merely a power grab? 
a lot of Christians who think so. Uh, and this is certainly a hot topic today. Listen, feminism, critical theory, Marxism, and in the church, classical liberal theology, liberation theology, the social gospel, these are all movements, major movements from the, over the last couple of hundred years outside and inside the church. And they all have enormous sway in our culture today. And in one way or another, all of those ideas deny authority But authority and submission are part of God's good plan and structure for his creation. A denial of that fact is almost as as old as creation itself. Adam and Eve were to submit to God. They chose to disobey, and when they did, what were they doing? Galatians, or excuse me, Genesis 3, 6 says, When the woman saw the tree was good for food and uh, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. Eve was being a strong, independent woman. She was being a liberated self-thinker. She did not trust God's word. She chose to liberate herself from him. And what's even worse, Adam was there and he didn't stop her. Now, lest you think that an incorrect doctrine of authority in the church is some other church somewhere else out there, you should know we've dealt with wrong ideas of authority in this church within the last calendar year. The idea that Christ is our authority, but that he approves no other structure of authority, that's simply not according to the scripture that we just read. And ironically, if you're not obeying scripture, you're not obeying Jesus himself. So why why do I belabor this point about submission and authority? It's because submission only gets harder from here. Submission is one thing when you're talking about uh, serving one another, right? Submission is harder when you're talking about serving, uh, or not serve, but, but, but uh, submitting to leaders, right? Submitting to leaders in the church. But we're also called to submit to leadership in the home. Read with me verse 21. And be subject to, the one, to one another in fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. uh, But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be subject to their husbands in everything. Look at verse 22 again. Wives, be subject to or submit to your husbands. The Greek word for submit is hypotasso. That prefix, if you transliterate it in English, H-Y-P-O, hypo, is the same English prefix we use for words like hypothermia. It's what happens when temperature is low, or hypoxia. It means when, uh, when there's a lower than the required amount of oxygen. Hypotasso means to arrange under, or to uh, subordinate, or more precisely in this context, to voluntarily subject oneself, or to obey. In marriage... Christ-fearing wives voluntarily follow the leadership of their husbands. So what should that look like? First, when there are decisions to be made, wives, we submit to the husband's final choice. 
We want to attach a lot of strings to that. I get it. Um, but before we attach strings, let's pause and admit what, what the scripture says. Wives, submit to your husbands. Second, as with any form of human leadership, your first subordination as a Christian is to Christ himself. What I just read out of the English Standard Version has the correct meaning, wives, submit to your own husbands. But if you read it on the screen or if you're reading in New American Standard, what I read earlier out of the New American Standard, you'd notice that wives, that after wives, the words be subject are in italics or they're in, or on the slides, they're in brackets. Now, now stay with me here. That's because the Greek word hypotasso is not actually in that verse. It's carried from verse 21, and it's all one sentence with verse 22. Read with me, and don't miss this line of thought as a a literal rendering. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ, wives to your own husbands, as in the Lord. I'm not making this up, okay? So who shows up in that verse? Let me read it again. Be subject, again, a literal rendering. Be subject to one another in fear, of the, in fear of Christ, wives to your own husbands in the Lord. Who shows up two times in that one sentence? It's not wives, it's not husbands. Jesus does. Out of fear of Christ or reverence to Christ, wives must submit to their husbands as to the Lord. In other words, you do, you must discern when your husband is telling you to do something that's not in God's moral will. Do not follow your husband into sin. Acts 5, there's, Scripture is flush with examples of husbands leading their wives into sin. In Acts 5, we read of a man named Ananias, Ananias who lies to the apostles uh, there in Jerusalem about the proceeds from the sale of land. My son Elijah um, is in, he's here with us this morning. Uh, he has the gift of gab. I have a whole file on my phone of things that Elijah says, Elijahisms. Uh, I asked him to summarize this story once, and he thought, he paused, he thought about it. He said, Ananias and Sapphira, they lied. They died, right? (laughs) You remember the story. When he lied, um, God put him to death. But when his wife proved that she was a co-conspirator, a co-liar, following her husband's lead into sin, she also followed her husband's lead into the punishment for that sin, didn't she? And she died. So first, wives must accept their husband's final decision. Second, wives uh, must first subordinate to the husband. Third... Excuse me, second, wives must uh, first subordinate to Christ. I want to be clear on that. Third, as a subordinate, if you will, one of your most important duties, wives, is to advise your husband. All right, this term, uh, this term, hypotasso, or to arrange under in Greek, is a military term. So forgive me for mansplaining this, but I'm in the military, and this is how it makes sense to me. If I don't tell my boss the truth and advise him from what I'm seeing, that's insubordination. Wives, it's almost insubordinate, insubordinate, if you don't tell him the truth and advise him on all decisions. You see things that he doesn't see. His decisions have to be more sound because he gets your input. 
Just because you, uh, just, you just need to give that input, okay, with a bearing of respect. And this passage will address that later. Now, this is uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to submit to a fellow sinner, right? It's uncomfortable for some of us in this culture to submit to anything. But your submission to your husband is actually your submission to Christ, Hear the difference between this and the second point that I made. He, uh, we already said that you have to obey Christ in order to uh, discern where your husband might be leading you into sin. What I'm saying here is that submit to your own husbands as to the Lord means that your obedience to your husband is obeying Christ. That is an act of obedience to Jesus. Does that make sense? So here's our point. Out of submission to Christ, Christian wives submit to their husbands. Out of submission to Christ, Christian wives submit to their husbands. Now look with me at verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Listen, submission is absolutely necessary to your faith in Jesus. We might not be perfectly submissive to Jesus, that's not what I'm saying, but our faith depends on a kind of submission. Romans 10, 9 and 10, you know it says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes resulting in righteousness, And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. And if Jesus is Lord, what does that mean except that he's in charge? As a Christian, if I'm a Christian, I'm saying or I'm confessing that Jesus is in charge of everything. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. I would argue that believing in your heart, among other things, is intellectual Submission, intellectual, hupotasso. Submission is indeed our position before Christ. And he stipulates the structure of the family. God created the family. He decided how it would be structured. And he told us about it. So the feminist idea that there's, only, that, that there's no one person in charge of a family is simply unbiblical. The word in verse 23 used to describe the husband's authority and Christ's authority over the church is head. In Greek, it's literally the, the, um, the body part, head, used figuratively, exactly how we do it in English, uh, today as a person who's in charge. But that metaphor is useful here. The head of the body is an important one as a metaphor. Think of a person's body. What happens if you remove the head? Right? It's dead. If there's no head, there's death. There's not, it's not a thing, right? What happens if there's two heads? That doesn't work either, right? It's a monster, not a person, if there's two heads. This is how God created it. He said there must be authority. Now, before we get to the husband's responsibility, let's look all the way down at verse 33. Paul summarizes here. Each individual among you is also to love his own wife, even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Notice those different words used, those verbs, those imperatives given to husbands and wives. Husbands love, wives 
respect. The word respect in Greek is the Greek word phobos, from which we get our word phobia. It's the same word used in verse 21, out of the fear of Christ. To submit to one another in the fear of Christ or out of reverence for Christ. And I've preached a whole sermon on the fear of the Lord. Right? Dig into Proverbs if you want to know what that means. Right? Ladies, it is important for you to follow your husband's lead. And it's also important for him to know that you're following him. It's not just mere obedience, but it's your bearing how you carry yourself in this relationship. It's how you feel about that obedience. Listen to how the wife's bearing is described in 1 Peter 3. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding of the hair, wearing gold and jewelry, uh, putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, the former time, in, in the former times, holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Now, calling him Lord, Sarah wasn't equating Abraham to God. That's Lord with a lowercase l there. And further, literally calling him Lord was very much culture-specific. I am not expecting my wife, I also married a Sarah. I'm not expecting my Sarah to start calling me Lord Tristan. Right? Make me a sandwich. Yes, my Lord. No, no. It's not what it is. What's the principle? Abraham, Sarah, showed him respect in her words. She displayed her submission in her bearing. Listen, do you want to know a little hack that's pulled out of this verse? Um, generally speaking, you can correct me later if I'm wrong, okay? Women are a little bit more insecure in, in love and in feeling loved than men are. Women want to be reassured. They want to regularly hear, I love you. Women want to know that even if they mess up and they do something less than lovable, their man still loves them. If, if that's not you, okay, just, just wrap your mind around it. You can understand that, right? Okay, here's the hack. Men, on the other hand, want to feel respected in the same way that their wives want to feel loved. We're insecure in our feeling respected. We want to know that even when we mess up, we'll still have our wife's respect. And guess what? Because we're sinners, there will be times when we do less than respectable things. And yes, of course, this can be abused by ego. But that's an abuse of what's really there, what's lying underneath. Men want to be respected. And that's, that's from God. Wives, respect your husband. Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. That's a general command to all believers, but you can see how bearing, how you carry yourself is important. So wives, how do you talk to your husband? How do you talk to your husband? What's your tone of voice? How do you talk about him? When he's not there, how do you talk about him to your friends? 
How do you talk about your husband to your kids when he's not there? How do you talk about your husband to your parents? See to it that you respect your husband. Now, let me say here, I must say here, uh, what fearing your husband and respecting your husband does not mean. Right? Listen carefully. Fearing your husband does not mean that if you don't obey him, he will harm you. Respecting your husband does not mean that you just accept his physically hurting you. If you're in a relationship with a man who is violent toward you, you must, you must get help. The kindest thing, the most loving, the most respectful thing you can do to him is to not tolerate your sin, to not tolerate that sin. All right, husbands, it's our turn. Husbands, the next command in scripture is not to lead your wives. It's to love your wives. But obviously, before we move on to the next verse, if wives are to submit, our leadership is implicit. And if husbands are supposed to be in charge, we have to accept this leadership. We have to, empowered by the Holy Spirit, live up to our wives' submission. So how are we supposed to do that? Well, we talked about this in men's ministry a week and a half ago. Listen to 1 Corinthians 16, 13 through 14. Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all you do be done in love. We, husbands, fathers, dads, we have to guide and guard firm in the faith on and be on the alert. We can't abdicate our role as leader. But also, don't be chauvinist. Don't be overbearing. Let all that you do be done in love. This is God's instruction for husbands in the rest of the passage. So read with me now in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Here's our point for husbands. Following Jesus' example of love for his church... Christian husbands sacrificially love their wives. Following Christ's example of love for his church, Christian husbands sacrificially love their wives. That word for love that husbands are commanded to give is the same word used throughout Scripture, throughout the Greek text, as God's love for us, agape love, you've heard of that. It is a selfless love. It's a sacrificial love. It is a humble love. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Christ gave himself up for the church. Yes, he died for us, but just how sacrificial was Jesus' loving actions for us? This is unpacked by Paul in Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Listen to this. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus Although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on this form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming more obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Jesus gave up his throne of constant praise among the angels in heaven. He gave up the peace and loving relationship within the Trinity that we can't even comprehend. He emptied himself of these things and became a man and obeyed even unto death. 
Guys, Jesus is God, and while we were spitting in his face, while we were shaking our fists in his face, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Isaiah summed it up hundreds of years before the Messiah came. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we were healed. Oh, right, guys, that kind of love. Guys, I told you this a week and a half ago, if you were here. We have to be selfless in our guiding and guarding love. The moment we try to work in a little benefit for ourselves, we're derailing the train. Look at verse 28. So husbands also ought to live their wives, live, uh, love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. Men are instructed to love their wives more than themselves, as their own body. How do we care for a wounded body part? We nurse it, we bandage it, we protect it, we give it time to heal. The body isn't just your buddy. Right? It's part of you. So it is with Christ and believers and husbands. So it is with our wives, with us. Don't ignore your wife's needs. Make her needs your own needs. So guys, our love should be sacrificial. Our, life should be, our love for our wives should be selfless. And our love should also be humble. Those Words that, that love versus respect that we talked about a minute ago, that's a two-way street. Women, wives, should respect their husbands. They should also love them. Husbands, you must love your wives, but you should also respect your wives. Colossians 3.19 says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. And guys, listen carefully. Do not disparage your wives. Don't look down on them in any way. Don't you dare talk down the role of wife or mother in your words, not to your wife, not to your sons, and certainly not to your daughters. Your wife's role as your wife is tremendously important to you. Your wife's role as mother is tremendously important. I have met Far too many strong, independent young women who have no desire to bear and raise the next generation because they want to be like their dads and because they disrespect their moms. Husbands, don't forget that your value as a child of God is perfectly equal to your Christian wife's value before God. Galatians 5, 26 through 29 says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For, you are, uh, for all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. We're all sons of God in Christ. We all get God's riches. Listen to 1 Peter 3, 7. You husbands in the same way live with your wives in an understanding way as someone who is weaker since she is a woman, showing honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life 
so that your prayers will not be hindered. You are joint heirs of grace with your wife. So your love for her must be humble in addition to being sacrificial and selfless. Listen, God's design for marriage is good and it even predates sin. God designed marriage before the fall. The first wedding between Adam and Eve was before the fall. That's why we have verse 30. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, I'm speaking, uh, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you is also to love his wife as himself and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Verse 31 is set apart in your Bibles, either in, uh, in the New American Standard. It's in all caps or in ESV. It should be in quotation marks. It's quoting from Genesis 2. In fact, the very first words of instruction in the whole Bible are those words. The very first non-narrative literature in the Bible are those words. And it was in this passage about Adam and Eve that two become one flesh refers, of course, to the physical, conjugal union between man and wife, but it also refers back to man's responsibility to love his wife as part of his own body, to cherish her and nourish her. Now, listen, apart from a new paradigm in Christ, our sinful natures are inherently selfish and prideful. Our selfishness and our pride and our non-submission in marriage often present themselves in three common problems. And they have to do with sex, with money, and believe it or not, with in-laws. And I'm treading carefully because my in-laws are right over there. (laughs) (laughs) You know this is true. After the honeymoon phase is over, sex becomes about me. Money becomes about what I want. And in-laws can very easily become a wedge between husband and wife. But this verse addresses all three of those common issues. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother. That means when a young young man is secure and self-sufficient and able to provide, then he is qualified to provide for his wife. He has separated from his parents financially. It also means that he's separated from his parents emotionally. And he doesn't need to ask dad's advice for absolutely every little thing. And he doesn't need to go whining to mom when his bride hurts his feelings. Right? Uh, Let me just say here, young men, there's no reason to rev the engines of a romantic relationship. You don't need to have a girlfriend if you're not ready to leave and ready to provide not a popular idea. My homeschooler is showing, okay? (laughs) By the way, parents, when your kids get married, uh, certainly offer sound biblical advice when it's asked for, but don't insert yourself between your grown child and his or her spouse. When you hear that complaining, cut it off. Ask your son, did you talk to your wife about this? Ask your daughter, did you talk to your husband about this first? And he shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. It's, of course, that physical conjugal union, and it points forward to the principle of selfless love in our passage today. Uh, 
That's the, the problem of sex, right? This, this addresses that physical conjugal union and the problems that arise there. The biblical picture for this, for the, that marital physical relationship between husband and wife, is actually mutual submission. And it is spelled out in 1 Corinthians 7. Listen to this. Each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. Listen, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Stop depriving one another. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians 7. Now listen, those are some practical things that we can do to modify our behaviors. You can take some of these answers, modify behavior, and have a happier marriage at least for a limited time. You can take that love versus respect hack right, and change the way you think and have a happier marriage for a while. But is our happiness God's goal in our marriage? No, no, it's not, not primarily. What does Jesus get out of our healthy, biblically-oriented marriages? Well, he gets his own bride, Look again at verse 31. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. God could have caused Adam and Eve and their descendants to obey the command to be fruitful and multiply some other way. He could have caused us to uh, procreate via pollination, right, uh, involuntarily. But he didn't. So why did God create this affection and this service and this submission and the respect and the relationship and the commitment and the leadership and emotion and the two becoming one flesh? It's because, and here's our point, marriage, especially marked by humility and selflessness and obedience to God's order, is a powerful symbol of Christ's redemption of his people. Marriage, especially marked by humility, selflessness, and obedience to God's order, is a powerful symbol of Christ's redemption of his people. Now, Jesus loves, actively loves his bride today. And what does he do for her, preparing her for his return? It's in verse 26. Look at verse 26. So that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Christ's goal in loving the church is our sanctification in his glory. It's another point for you. Christ's goal in loving the church is our sanctification in his glory. Jesus sanctifying his church is the process of saving us, the process of saving us. Now, we have been washed in terms of justification, that one-time event when you believed you were justified. Listen to Titus 3.5. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Regeneration is another thing that happens in that instant that you first believed. That's justification. That's washing. But listen, we are also continuously, progressively, being washed as we're being conformed to Christ's likeness. That's what we call sanctification. Sanctification starts when you're first saved. Sanctification ends when you're standing before Christ. 
Listen to Hebrews 8.29. I'm sorry I don't have this in your notes. Listen to this. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. That means becoming like Jesus. So that he would be the first born among many generations. But why? Again, what's in this for Jesus? Verse 27. That he might present to himself the church in all her glory having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she would be holy and blameless. Um, Men can understand this if you've been married. Um, You've experienced days when your wife just doesn't feel beautiful. Wives, ladies, have you felt uh, in in those moments when you just feel inadequate for whatever reason of your your physical appearance? Um, there's lots of cultural reasons that we're not going to go into, right? That, but, but that idea um, that you don't feel beautiful, um, that parallels directly with some feelings that I have, and I think probably you have too, if you understand your own sinfulness. Have you ever felt ugly before God? I, I, God, I know how ugly I am. Why did you save me? Am I really saved? We can have assurance that we are really saved. But contrition for our sin is a good thing. Now listen to how uh, Ray Ortland from his book simply entitled The Gospel. Listen to how he talks about Jesus and those feelings that we have. On that eternal wedding day above, the bride will not need any makeup. He will look into our eyes and say to us, my love, you are perfect And he will not be exaggerating. Real holiness is not dull, drab, and negative. No, those are marks of man-made religiosity. Real holiness Christ creates is beautiful. And the holiness he gives will redeem every dirty thing we've ever done to ourselves or suffered from others. And we will be without spot or wrinkle or any such things. Husbands and wives, submitting with respect and leading with love will fulfill God's order of marriage and it will picture Jesus' love for the church. And it will bring peace and stability and joy and yes, even happiness to your home. So brothers and sisters, if Jesus' goal in his divine marital engagement is to prepare his bride for that wedding union with him, what should our highest goals in marriage be? I think it should be the same thing. Husbands' highest goal in loving their wives is their wives' sanctification and Christ's glory. uh, That's the point. Husbands' highest goal in loving their wives is their sanctification in Christ's glory. Paul writes to the Corinthian church, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband so that Christ, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. Colossians 1 is talking about purity before Christ. Colossians 1 says, And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deed, yet now he has reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and above reproach. That sounds pretty good to me. (laughs) Husbands, listen to me. Your wife 
should be more sanctified, more perfect, more like Christ, more spiritually beautiful than she's ever been because she's been married to you. How can we do that? We already mentioned leading, um, leading and guarding and guiding. Um, But we need to, here's some practical things. We need to be concerned with our wives' devotion to Christ. Know what she's studying. Know who her friends are. Guys, know what she's consuming on TV or in social media. Not spying or overbearing, but talk to her. Furthermore, men, we need to take the lead in feeding our wives spiritually. Take the lead in reading the Bible with her and praying with her. Husbands, we have a high calling, higher than just a happy marriage, but it is to partake with Jesus in sanctifying our wives. Finally, wives, what can you do? What should be your highest goal in marriage? Wives, highest goal in marital submission is Christ's glory. Wives, highest goal in marital submission is Christ's glory. Wives, respect your husbands out of respect for Christ in order to sanctify him. 1 Peter 3, again, listen, in the same way, way, you wives, be submissive to your own, own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they might be one without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Wives, as a loving, respectful follower, you should be concerned with your head's devotion to Christ. You should encourage his Bible study and prayer, both by himself and with you. You are his best friend and you are his most important human advisor. So the reason marriage exists is to picture God's redemption of us to an ugly world in need of his redemption. And when I was a teenager at Bible camp one year, uh, I heard a sermon very similar to this one. And for some reason I don't remember, the camp evangelist asked us to raise our hands if any of us thought that we were not going to be married. I raised my hand. Uh, My pastor asked me later on if if, uh, I thought that I had the gift of singleness. I was frustrated. And I told him in frustration, I told him I didn't think I had the gift of being married. I was discouraged by disunity and disrespect and contention and a lack of biblical reconciliation in the marriages around me, in Christian friends' marriages, in missionaries that I knew, in pastors that I knew, in addition to lay people's marriages. Um, I was discouraged. Now, that was largely the expression of a moody teenager, Okay, uh, And in retrospect, I must give credit, uh, I saw very few divorce, very, very few divorces in, in, in where I, when I grew up uh, among those same marriages. Um, but listen, wives, when you don't show deference to your husband by submitting to his leadership, when, when wives don't talk him up behind his back, when they don't bear themselves with humility around their husbands, and husbands, when you don't love and care for your wife, 
When husbands, uh, by learning their needs and their desires, husbands, uh, when you don't guide and guard them, when you don't cherish and nourish them uh, spiritually, physically, and emotionally, when these things don't happen, we're throwing dirt on the picture of Jesus in the church. Young person, don't be discouraged. Uh, Understand what marriage is about. It's not about you, obviously. It's not even about you and uh, you both, right? Marriage is a picture of Jesus. And married men and women, our marriages are perhaps the most practical distinction between the world, the watching world, and the church. We are called, of course, to speak the gospel in clear words to the lost and to make disciples. But having a biblical marriage isn't by itself going to talk someone into salvation. But okay, wives who submit and respect their husbands in marriage in this culture, when that works, and husbands who boldly lead and love their wives and put their wives' interests before their own and they're happy about it, friends, these things are such a stark contrast from the world. They are so different. And these things are a blazing billboard for our wonderful bridegroom. Will you pray with me? Father, there are so many things that I've spoken um, that I fall short on. Um, And I know, Lord, I'm not the only one. Father, help us to love our wives as husbands. Help these wives to love and respect and submit to their husbands. Father, I do pray that you would use this passage, use your instructions, and help us as your church to submit to you. Father, I pray that um, the marriages that are represented here would indeed be billboards for you and would show the hungry world what true happiness is, and that is happiness for eternity with you. Father, all these things I pray in Christ's name. Amen.